Our dynasty on the morning bliss. This morning on uh, uh, our dynasty, we are finding out uh, the Basutu origin. Where do the Basutu come from? Where do they originate from? And we are joined by Dr. Zulu Matabo Zulu, who's a research scientist, director of the Madisebo University of Research Institute, and also a metaphysical science. A very good morning. Togoza Makulu Makosi. We also give greetings to your audience. Today, for the opportunity. Thank you for joining us. Always a great pleasure having you. This morning, thank you are helping us understand the Basutu origin. Yes, that's right. So, uh, so actually, and, and, and kind of starting off on my personal background, so uh, my father is Zulu from KZN, and then my mother is a Basutu from the Free State. So, you know, they always talk about the mother tongue as the, as the override, you mm, see that. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and I must also say that uh, language is extremely important. Uh, language is actually, um, you know, uh, a source of, of, of knowledge, a source of archival history and stuff like that. So, Basutu. So now, uh, let's begin with the uh, word Sutu. So, um, so you see that word Sutu uh, comes from a very old word called Soto. And Soto refers to the color of Mabele. You know, Mabele has got this uh, light brown color. Yes. Yes. So, meaning that when actually uh, the word Sutu was spelled before, it used to be spelled with two O's. It used to be S O O T H O, Soto, you know. And then, of course, over time, the O was dropped and then it became Sutu. So, it basically refers to Mabele. And uh, why Mabele? Because Mabele is the food of the gods. Maupasa, Upasa, Mabele, and so forth. Now, uh, Basutu originates uh, from, uh, you know, places like uh, from the north of Legua. Legua being, of course, Val River. They come north of that. So we are talking about places like Mahalis, uh, Mahalis Mountains. And uh, we're talking about places like Mpumalanga. You know, uh, those are the places of, of the Basutu. They came from their ancestor known as Dabani. Now, King Dabani was a Mukhata. So basically, Mutswana. So basically, Basutu come from the Baswana, actually. You know? So uh, this king, uh, Dabani, had five sons. So the first one was called Khisi. And then uh, the second one uh, was, was called uh, sorry, the first one was called Diale, actually, yes. The first one was called Diale, and then the second one was called Khisi. So, and then, uh, so, so, so the first one, Diale, that's where the Batidi comes from. And as, as a matter of fact, the word 
the training dial, the training dial is very much, uh, you know, popular and dominant amongst the Bapidi speaking people because they are also part of the Basutu. And then, and then Haiti, Haiti is where the people who, are, who, who carry the surname Muloy comes from. And that's my mother. My mother carries that surname Muloy. So, uh, that Muloy are the, are the, are the, are the, are the is the progenitor of the people who are called Muloy, known as Maholukwe. And some people would even say Baholukwe, you see. And then, uh, and then from there you've got um, uh, Batlokwa, and then from there uh, you've got Baputi, and then from there you've got Basia. There are five. So all these these are different nations today. So may, may, basically, Basotho began as basically five nations, but of course, as time progressed, you know, uh, the great uh, leader of 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 the Basutu um, in the south, known as Mishueshue, he extended uh, these nations so that now today you've got many nations of, of the Basutu, more than you had when they actually uh, started. So, so but, mm, yes, yeah. Now, when you're talking about the, the five nations within the Basutu, uh, I'm glad that uh, you, you mentioned the nation that I come from. So, I am I am a royal princess from my from my lineage from the Batlokwa clan. Oh, my uh, that that's mm. where my, my, my clan comes from, from my um, uh, maternal grandmother. And Makou. and it, it's it's very fascinating how yes we've had originally the five Basutu um, nations. Yes. How did we get to a point where only one is held, only one is known? And the greats of the other five original clans have almost fizzled out. You can't really pinpoint um, in this day and age where the, the, the nations are, are, are throned. Yeah, that's right. And maybe that's because, you see, we Africans, that's our fault. We do not write about our history. We do not write about ourselves. And as a result, our history gets distorted. But of course, these populations are still very much uh, prominent. So, the <coughs> sorry. So, Diale, who are the Bapidi, of course, we find them today in the Popo province. And then, uh, and then Haiti uh, is Bomuloi now. The Haiti Maholuke, they got, they really got scattered. Um, they actually, I think, most of Maholuke, uh, their really headquarters was in a place called Taba Holukwe, which is present day would be in Standard 10, uh, in Mpumalanga. But uh, that place has since been absorbed uh, into farms because of the colonial conquest. So that means that they have actually lost their land. Uh, so, so the question of land disposition is responsible for the erasure of our history. And then, of course, you've got also, like you mentioned, it's quite interesting, Batlokwa, Mantatisi. So you've got uh, uh, Baholukwe who are also in, uh, in, in, in KZN in a place called uh, Isandrwana, uh, today it's called Ngutu. Uh, so you've got two people there. You've got your people, Batlokwa, in Ngutu. 
and they also have Maholokwe from my mother's side today. In fact, when I was a young man, I was taken by a great uh, Musutu leader called Munna Felamoda from Kwakwa. And he took me to the great uh, King Mulife in Ngutu, and I lived with him there for, for some time. You know, that was during my, my young days. And then, of course, Maholoko, you also find them today uh, near Harris Smith. So uh, I think there's a place called Siame. That's where you have Maholoko. They've got their king there called King uh, Paulus uh, Muloi whom I know very well, I'm very known, I know we know each other very well. He actually uh, grew up with my uncle uh, in a place called Matamong. So, and it's interesting that uh, the Batlokwa, when they arrived there, they of course uh, uh, settled near Maholukwe because they are cousins, you see. Uh, and, then, and then of course, uh, you, you also have them in Kwaka. So they're really scattered and you also have them in Lesotho as well, you see. So land dispossession has done a lot of damage to our history. Okay, and then uh, you have, of course, uh, uh, um, of course, I was mentioned that rock, and then you have uh, Baputi, so Baputi also, uh, and it's quite interesting because Baputi and Maholokwe, uh, they have the, the same totem, which is the animal, the antelope, uh, called Puti. Uh, I suppose we call it in Pumzi, yes, So, uh, and then of course, so that means that uh, they did not eat that, that animal, that animal is sacred, you know, they respect it. And then of course, you've got Basia. Basia, uh, a lot of them, you find them a lot in, in Free State, uh, in a place called Bethlehem, there's a lot of Basia there, uh, but they're all, all, over, all over the place, uh, you know, um, in, the, in the free state. But yes, you are right. They have gotten uh, scattered. Uh, but you find them also, of course, in, uh, some are in, in Botswana, uh, some are in Northwest province, you know, uh, different places. Some would have gone as far as Zambia. Zimbabwe, Zambia, you've got people who are called Balozi. Balozi are the Basutus, actually. Uh, you know, and, and I believe that uh, they are in a struggle for independence because they want to govern themselves. Apparently, when Zambia became independence, independent, it was supposed uh, to be Zambia and then Balozi land. But uh, for some reason, Zambia absorbed the Baluzi land. And there, there's a struggle going on right now about that. So meaning that at some point, we may have a new country called Baluzi land or Republic of Baluzi, something like that. But they are the Basutu, of course. And you also have, you find these people also in Namibia, when I was writing my book, The Sacred Knowledge of the Desert African Philosophical Transcendence. I also created another book of mine called Sesotho Dictionary of Mathematics, and I was very surprised to find the Basutu there in Namibia. So they are scattered all over the place, lined up. And uh, being scattered all over the place uh, shows the fact that as Africans, we, as much as we were dispossessed of our land, but we are also very nomadic by nature, and uh, w- and we were also very family orientated, like you were mentioning some of the cousin uh, nations within the Basutu. 
the biggest concern is in this day and age, for instance, we'll take South Africa as an example. We've got many nations and many kingdoms within South Africa. But the one predominant one is that of the Zulu nation. And I think even when it comes to uh, the budget that comes from government, there's more that's given to this nation as opposed to other nations. How did we get to a point that all these nations from the Basotho who are in South Africa are not as recognized? I think uh, part of the reason would would have to do, of course, uh, you know, uh, you've got to give it to, to the Zulus for their, for, for their consistent defense of the royalty. They have done a very good job in that case. They have really defended their kingdom. The advocacy of the Zulu people have been very strong in spite of the dispossession of the land and so forth. And we also see this advocacy, uh, for example, during the 1994 or pre-1994 negotiation, that, you know, Zulu leaders like uh, Prince Bukelezi, uh, King Zuliti, you know, Mshulozi, uh, uh, Jacob Zuma, they, they, they came together and said that, you know, what's going to happen when they when they leave their political position. So they need to leave a legacy, and they decided to register a trust known as Ngonyama Trust. And Ngonyama Trust was essentially about land. So basically all those lands, uh, what used to be called uh, Zululand homeland, they all became Ngonyama Trust. And they made it sure that there was actually a support for this even in the act of parliament. I think they're the only uh, nation in this land of Azania, South Africa, who have done that, you see. And, and so that means that when you're in Zuland, when you need land, you don't need to go to the bank and get a bond and stuff like that. You go to the king or queen, and then you get allocated land. So I think they've done a pretty good job there. And even in terms of their battles, they have fought brilliantly to preserve their kingdom. So I think, uh, you know, and, and now, now, now here is an interesting part. Basutu also have done great jobs. I mean, you've got very brilliant generals among the Basutu. There was, a, for example, a general called Mohorosi, uh, who was uh, the commander of the Basutu forces. And Mohorosi, along with other generals like Lisi, they delivered impressive military victories against the Afrikaners. You see, against the Africaners, against the English. So uh, they've done a very good job. But I think another problem that happened amongst our people has also, be, also been the issue of divide and conquer. You see, divide and conquer. And you find that uh, the Zulus got affected by divide and conquer towards the end of the Elo Zulu War. Because when you read their history, you know, uh, uh, after the, the English reached uh, Ulundi, you know, in 1879, uh, about this, then the, the English partitioned Zululand into, I think, 13 uh, chiefdoms. And most of those chiefdoms, they gave them to 
uh, Zipepu. Zipepu was a great Zulu general. They gave them to Zipepu and his clan called Manzagazi. And then there was a civil war. And of course, the ruling elite of the ruling uh, clan of the Zulus was Usutu. You see that. And, and then, uh, so there was a civil war between Mantlagazi and Usutu, of course, and that really, uh, you know, destroyed the Zulu kingdom. But it's amazing that the Zulu kingdom has this resilience. Even in spite of that destructive civil war, they were able to come together and continue with their royalty. And then, of course, among the Basutu, uh, you have Mushuesh, of course, whose kingdom has survived, but uh, Mushuesh is not as strong because of this divide and conquer. I'll give you an example. This great uh, military general, uh, Mohoros, who, who, who really defeated impressive victories for, for King Mushuesh. His son, Lucia, is recorded as having, you know, colluded with the English to betray Mohorosi. If you do a Google, uh, you, you look for something called Mohorosi. I think Mohorosi Mount is the mountain of Mohorosi. Uh, if Mohorosi had his way, uh, there would have been another uh, country created uh, between the Sutu and, and what is known, was known as Transkai at some point. What is today would be called Matadiel. You see those, those, all those lands. That was Mkhorosi uh, 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 territory. And then, unfortunately, this year is reported. Uh, we still have to research more of this, but it is recorded in colonial records that he betrayed Mkhorosi because the English feared Mkhorosi and they looked for him, they could not find him. And Lucia uh, gave information to these English and they they found him in this mountain and they killed him, they cut his neck, his head off, they cooked his head in a cauldron, in a giant pot, because they feared him so much that they wanted to make sure he is dead. You see, so this divide and conquer has really, uh, you know, dealt a mortal wound to the Basutu uh, royal royalty, really. That, that is really a, a big issue in that sense. It's it's very sad that there's there, there's a lot of uh, colonial um, uh, interference when it comes to uh, the Basutu nations and the Basutu royalty. But the other thing that I would I'd like us to pass by a bit here, uh, Doctor Zulu Matabo, is the fact that within the various uh, uh, nations in Southern Africa, there was a lot of conquest just amongst the African people themselves. So, uh, for instance, I've read that uh, Amatlubi um, would uh, sometimes be on the side, depending where they were, of the Basutu to fight off um, the Zulu nation just for territory. How was were these territorial battles amongst the African nations influenced by external factors? Makos, uh, you know, when it comes to that... Uh Unfortunately, that history is written by, by colonialists. And so we do not know how much of it is a fact and how much of it is, for example, a fiction that was created in order to promote this uh, divide and conquer. So uh, I'll, I'll give an example. Uh, there is this thing known as Mfekani, right? Uh, so they call Difakani. 
So we grew up as children learning this history in, in school. That, you know, there was Ifatani, which started around the 1800s. And then um, King Shaga is the one who started this. And uh, people were, were scattered, they migrated, and then the Zulus were conquering land, stuff like that. So at Madisabo University Research Institute, we have been following this uh, narrative to try to verify it. We eventually established that actually Mfetani, Difatani, is a fiction. There was never such a thing as Mfetani, Difatani. But it was, this fiction was not created out of nothing. It was created in order to conceal the genocide of the slave uh, raids that were carried out by the Africaners, you know, the Dutch, uh, the English, and, uh, and the Portuguese, you know. Uh, because remember that uh, Azania, South Africa, was a, a Portuguese colony. You see, this is a part of history that is not really taught much. It was a, British, it was a Portuguese colony. Even when you read, uh, for example, the resolutions in the Berlin Conference, 1844-45, uh, it was resolved there that those who arrive first on the coast, referring to the Portuguese, should be the one that have priority in terms of the inland of Africa. So, and, 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 the, and the British supported the Portuguese in this uh, endeavor. In fact, there's a railway line uh, from what used to be called Lorenzo Max, which is now, I think, uh, Maputo, uh, to Pretoria. That railway line was designed by a Portuguese engineer, Portuguese government, because at that time, uh, Azania was a Portuguese <laughs> colony. So, so, but this slave race that took place, which resulted in genocide, it is estimated that uh, more than 2 million people died during that period. So, these uh, uh, genocides, they created a, a new story called Infatani di Fatane, so that then people will think that will attribute those uh, genocides to ourselves when actually it was committed by the um, by the colonists, for example. Okay, so third forces were at work. Let's take a bit of a yeah. break. We'll come back. We we'll, are uh, talking to Dr. Zulu Matabu. I say, Africa must wake up, the sleeping sons of Jacob, for what tomorrow may bring. May Our dynasty on the morning bliss. Can you tell me, young ones, who are we today? On our dynasty, we are speaking about uh, the Basotho original uh, and. Uh, it's a very rich one. It's a very, very rich one. Our guest is Dr. Zulu Matabo Zulu, research scientist, a director of uh, Madisebo University of Research, and uh, a metaphysical scientist. Um, we we did say that we are going to be joined by um, the the community members of uh, Johannesburg CBD, Bertram's Best Valley, and surrounding areas, uh, Mr. Chawoke and Elliot. Um, Ramadiba, but they're not available. We've tried them many, many times uh, to hear their service delivery. They're not available, not picking up their lines. So if you know them, wake them up, they're probably fast asleep, or maybe it's a load shedding issue, we're not sure. So if you're anticipating that conversation, it will not happen. We've got a message here from Atima, Brother Max, 
who's in Paro in the Eastern Cape. Uh, Brother Max says, for the producer of The Morning Bliss and Ma Patricia Ntuli um, for The Dynasty, you may consult the source of Bantu Civilization International Center in Libreville, in Gabon, um, to have a nice and good understanding and information of our origins, like the Owambos come from Hrasfield of Cameroon. Um, but all members of the Bantus come from the northeast of Africa, from Kenya. That is information from Brother Max in Paro. Thank you for sharing that with us. Now, Dr. Zulu Matabo, Zulu, I am very intrigued about everything we have spoken about. But my question is, how do we restore back the pride, the dignity, and the, the, the land and the yes. uh, the dynasty and kingdom of the various Basutu nations, giving them all independence, but also helping them remember that they are one. Of course, yes. Uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, restore restoration is a, is a key word there. And also the land is existential to the principle of restoration. There can be no restoration without land. So that means that uh, the land question has to be resolved. But we know that the government is very slow in this area of land restoration. Um, so I think we people also need to do things on the ground, whether it means you know we raise funds uh, to purchase a piece of land, uh, so that we can begin to build something from there. You know, we're living at the nice period of the technological revolution. So we've got things like, you know, modeling, simulation and stuff like that. So if you want to solve a very large, complex problem, you can build modeling of this problem. And then, and then through this modeling, then you begin to build a physical solution to this. And so what I, I, I'm saying is that we need a, a piece of land where we can do our things, you know, we establish there things like a technology center, not for purposes of entertainment, because people always think about entertainment, but for purposes of research, for purposes of investigation, for purposes of modeling solutions, that can help us get where we need to be, because that's going to be very, very critical to, to do that. And um, there are, for example, some people, maybe there are some places that have lands. Uh, we should work together with these uh, tra traditional leaders, you know, in, in rural areas who've got, who are trustees of land so that we get land and then we, 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 we grow our own food, uh, you know, uh, we teach our children uh, agricultural science and stuff like that. We need to really move in that direction. Now, in terms of unity, uh, we really need to have gatherings whose sole purpose is to promote unity and to talk about things like Litsima. Litsima is a very powerful principle. Because Litsima is about 
cooperative economics, right? We need that. So we need to get together. And there are people already doing that. There are some people, for example, maybe Bafukin or Batlokwa, they meet once a year, even though some might meet maybe around Christmas, and then they get together, you know, by Holy Sana, stuff like that. You know what we call today Stockfield is actually from the principle of Lithuania, is cooperative uh, economics, you know. So, so we need to do those things. And then, of course, uh, we need to increase interaction amongst one another. Because when people are isolated, then they develop these uh, wrong ideas about one another. But when they interact, you know, then they get to clarify, uh, teach each other, each other's culture, and so forth. So we need to do uh, those things. And of course, build businesses together uh, to support one another. But that's going to require a mind shift to do that. A mind shift of note uh, that might of even note, shake the, the, the ground that we walk on. Yes. Uh, what's the role of organizations like uh, the traditional leaders organization, Nabokontralesa? Why are they not playing this role? That's a good point. You know, I personally, and, and, and uh, Contralesa, those are great organizations, and I think I've got great respect for these organizations. But I think uh, they are kind of hampered, if I may say so. They are kind of harnessed by the political structures. For example, you've got a, a ministry called Department of what is it, uh, Cooperative Governance, COCTA, for example. Um, so, and then these uh, these kings and uh, chiefs and queens and so forth they fall under that uh, department. And I believe these leaders get some kind of stipend, whatever. You see, as a royalty, you are supposed to be the architect of your destiny. You're supposed to be the unbought, unsold architect of destiny. You see that? But if if then you have to be under some political structure like COPTA. Because remember, what is the, the department? A department is really is led by a, you know, a politician, of course, who's a minister, but then is, is governed by, is administered by a bureaucrat by the, who's called a Director General, DG. You see that? So, but a bureaucrat gets a salary from the government, so it's, it's not answerable to these royalty or traditional leaders. It's answerable government, who are the politicians. So that's a bad design. What we need is we need an independent governance systems of these of the royal systems. You see that, and then of course they cooperate, they work together with the government, but they should not be under. It, it doesn't make sense to me that. The kings, the queens, they are under a bureaucratic, uh, uh, like for official, like for example, a director. It doesn't make sense to me. That's a bad design. So we need to change these things. But because maybe uh, we are not aware of some of these things, we have come to accept them. You know the, the English expression that says, "Exposure promotes tolerance." 
So when you're exposed to something for a very long time, you end up accepting it. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and also, for me, and maybe I'm a bit controversial and so late in the conversation I shouldn't get into this one, but, you know, Makosi, for me it feels as if those who are claiming to be uh, custodians of our nations, um, those who are claiming to be the royal houses, are questionable. Are they really the real royalty? Because if they were, they would fight tooth and nail, not literally fight, but I'm saying their stance would be to bring their people together, to feel the plight of their people, to plow their land and be productive so that they don't have to wait for government handouts. They don't have to be a burden to the government fiscal. And like, like I know, I know my history. I know my background. I know that my grandmother who's alive today is from a royal family. I know my aunts and my uncles. They know their history. They know we are royalty. But we are displaced. Our land is nowhere. Um, yeah. There is no kingdom, but we know we are children of Matantis. So, Matantis, who, exactly. who are the ones who are sitting on that seat today? Are they really real? Are they really the real custodians? Because if they were, it wouldn't be the way it is right now. And just before I answer that question, uh, you know, when you talk about Matantis, and, and I'm so glad that uh, you, you, you know, you are proud about this history, and that's very important. We need more of you. And uh, and that reminds me, uh, there's one young lady. I think she's Tepi uh, Mutong, who's also, uh, you know, a descendant of Mantatisi. You know, uh, so 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 we need more of you. The Mantatisi, Mantatisi, you know, descendants must come out. <laughs> Very important. I so I grew up in the Eastern Free State in a place called Matamong. So that Matamong was. Uh, was part of the influence of Mantatisi. Because Mantatisi originates in Harrismith, for example, what is today called Harrismith. And it's quite interesting that she was a powerful figure. There's a book I wrote called Holabuloko, uh, African Roots of Cosmic Genesis, where I also make mention to Mantatisi. Right? She was a great warrior. She was a military general. She was a woman who led armies. You see that, and 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 that also shows you that the African social society is a matrilineal society, because even in the universe, in the cosmos, the feminine principle is the most powerful principle. You see that, okay? So in terms of the legitimacy, you know, the authenticity of of the leaders, we are making a very pertinent point because uh, during. Uh, there's a word that I, I never like to use called chief, because this word chief was invented by the English. They did not want to say king, they would say chief, right? And, 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 and check this out. You, know, you see, I was just uh, griping about the, the, the kings and queens being, being subject to a government department, a bureaucrat. You see that? But this principle comes from, comes from colonial era. Uh, during the colonial times, uh, the, when, for example, a king, uh, uh, the great uh, you know, uh, legend, uh, Nelson Mandela, writes in his book, uh, Long Walk to Freedom, about the Tosa uh, Batimbu royalty. The king passes on, and now they need to have a successor. So they have two kids to choose from. 
two sons to choose from. One went to a mission school, and then the other one did not go to a mission school. They, they learned their knowledge from the indigenous institutions. And so they approached the father of Mandela, Madiba, to, say, to ask him uh, who, should be, who should they choose. And then uh, the king, uh, and then uh, Madiba applies his mind, and then he comes back to say, uh, the one who went to a mission school is not the right choice because he has been contaminated by Western education. So he cannot be a good custodian of the Batembu royalty. Choose the one who is un, un, who's not contaminated by Western influence. So you see, the question, the question of authenticity was already there a long time ago. And of course, the, according to the rules, they had to, after choosing the king, they had to report to the magistrate, because they were under the magistrate. The magistrate was the one who, was, who had the say, who issued the certificate to say, yes, you can rule and stuff like that. And apparently the magistrate didn't quite like that choice, because at some point, uh, the father of Mandela was subpoenaed by the magistrate to come and appear to the magistrate. And then, uh, and then uh, Madiba said, Andi, ye! and he never went. And what happened? He was dispossessed. He was dispossessed, he was punished severely, you know, which ended up, of course, Mandela and his mother leaving Mfeso uh, to go to Kunu. You see that type of situation. So authenticity is, is, um, is very key. And so because of divide and conquer, there are some that were put in these royal positions, not because they belong there, but because it was part of divide and conquer. And that is a carryover even today. So you still have those kind of, of situations. So yes, we need to solve that. Well, you know what? This conversation is far from over, um, Dr. Zulu Matabuzu. It's a Not conversation good. that will only be over when we have solved what we are speaking about right now. But all I can say is this Africa month, let's make sure that Africa rises. Uh, Looking forward to another conversation with you because you are always on point.